Welcome to Activate Church Podcast and thanks for listening. We hope this message helps you and we pray that God speaks to you through this week's message. I want to share with you some revelations that God gave me in this process of when you step away from church, what really matters in church. And I think it's important because we can get very comfortable with church and we forget what it was originally intended for. The mission that God put on earth was his bride had a, a, a KPI to achieve. It had a, a, a point that we were supposed to partner with. And it's easy if we've been in church all our life to get comfortable with church and miss the very fact that God wants us to be uncomfortable. That the way it should look should, should make you happy when people are stealing things in your services or you can't leave your purse on the front seat anymore or there's people smoking out the front there's there's got to be a sense that that God is creating environments that allow for someone to walk in and say I didn't realize I could belong to something like this I didn't I didn't know that this existed I didn't know that someone could be relevant and could communicate a message that I could use on Monday and we we need to be facilitators of creating comfort I don't know about you but by nature, I'm not a risk taker. I'm probably risk adverse. As in other words, like I wouldn't by nature be the one that wants to jump out of a plane. I, I, I'm not, that's not me. I'm not a risk taker in my personal life, in my finances. It's not who I am. Uh, my sister that's a few years younger than I am, she is a risk taker. It was best illustrated uh, a few years ago when we were on a, a trip to my husband, uh, sorry, not my husband, my wife and her husband. Uh, well, I don't know what your stance is here in Victoria, but... <laughs> Uh, her husband and my wife, the four of us, went to Thailand uh, on a holiday to Phuket. And we went to a place called Phuket Zoo. Now, I don't know if, if you, uh, you know, have been to a zoo somewhere before, but usually a zoo is one of two things. A zoo is a place where animals are kept. And another thing a zoo can be also described as a place that's out of control. I guess it's a zoo, right? <laughs> so this place in Phuket should be called Phuket Zoo Zoo. In other words, it's a place for animals that is out of control. There is no... Anyone ever been to Phuket Zoo? You're going to love... You know, a few of you have, okay? So uh, to give you an idea, we, we turn up to the zoo, and I'm expecting a little bit like Taronga Park Zoo, or do you, do you have a zoo in Melbourne? Like the Melbourne... Okay, the Melbourne Zoo, sorry. And, and, you know, and you know, you're going to go and see nicely caged animals and, you know... But have you also seen like on the Channel 7 or Channel 9 news with those stories in, somewhere in Asia where an animal got out and ran someone over or the lion ate someone in the zoo? That's this kind of place, right? And it only clicked when I got there that this is the kind of place where those crazy stories happen. And we turned up and we should have had a clue right at the beginning when we saw that there was this monkey dressed up as a person. And it was smoking a cigarette in the zoo. And my sister just thought, this is a great opportunity because, you know, I'm a risk averse. She's risk. She wants to take risks. She turns up at the zoo and she has a photo opportunity with this monkey. And the monkey not only does have a photo with her, but touches her completely inappropriately during the photo. And I'm like, what is this zoo? Like, why is this animal monkey dressed up as an animal touching my sister like that? This is not, and smoking. I mean, this is not a normal zoo, the Phuket Zoo Zoo. And so we thought maybe it's just a, it's a one-off thing at the start of the zoo. To get, you know, you're kind of thinking, oh, this is a fun zoo. And we, we kept going. And we went to this place that was the crocodile exhibition. The problem with these crocodiles is I think someone had injected them with cocaine or some crazy drug earlier that day. And the, the keepers of this zoo, of this crocodile thing, were DJs in a, in a booth. You can imagine in this setting, like a DJ up there. So you had this DJ. He was like, had his sunnies on. He was high. And he just put the music on and we go, 
would stop and the crocodile's head would open up and then they'd put the head in the crocodile and everyone would be like, oh. remember, you think this is a place where this, this stuff goes down when people get killed, right? And you're like, this is nuts. Like the guy's got his head in there and then he'll pull it out and it will slam shut and the music goes down. Doo, doo, doo. And then they, this is what they do. This is the whole show. They just put their heads in the crocodile's mouth. And you think, this is crazy. This is, this is crazy stuff going on. And then we went to the elephant exhibition where I didn't know that elephants could play soccer and do art at the same time. <laughs> I have never seen that at Taronga Park Zoo or we don't have a zoo on the Gold Coast, but you know, Australia Zoo. I didn't know you could do that. And so they said, we want volunteers for someone who can come so that the, the elephant can play hopscotch. And the first person to put her hand up was my sister, the risk taker. I'm like, you're an idiot. This is the place where people get killed, Amy. What are you doing? She's like, no, I want... So she's lying on the ground as the elephants step over them. And then at the end of that, they get the soccer ball and put it in and score a goal. And then they do an artwork. This is a crazy... This is a crazy zoo. <laughs> then there was the snake exhibition. The snake exhibition was a place you go and you had to slap the cobra on the head as it came up. And I thought it was brilliant. My sister even went up and slapped the cobra on the head. I'm just back going, my, my wife and I were both not risk takers. This is stupid. And the final piece of the puzzle for me that just did my head in was when we went to the tiger exhibition. The problem with the tiger exhibition was there was no fences anywhere. It was just a, a tiger with a handler on a podium. Like it was like just the tiger being here. Now, you might think, well, okay, well, that's, you know, maybe the, the, you know, they got this tiger under control and so it was, you know, it was fine. The problem with this particular tiger handler is that he had one arm. Like this. And so he's like got his arm here, but he's got no arm here, and he's got the tiger there. And I'm thinking to myself, something is very wrong with this picture, this, this whole experience right now. And in my ability to communicate into his broken tire, I'm like, did that tiger bite, bite your arm? He's looking at me, he's like, did that tiger bite? He's like, ah, oh, yeah, tiger, bite, bite, bite. My sister, at this point, decides to step up and have a photo with the tiger. I'm like, Amy, this tiger ate his arm, and you're going to have a photo with the tiger. She's like, this is great. This is, I'm just excited by this whole thing. So we walk away from this zoo. I'm like, I realize I'm not a risk taker. Like, there's nothing about that time I enjoyed. I didn't enjoy it. I didn't want to have an elephant step over me. I didn't want to have a cobra spit on me. I didn't want to have a tiger bite my head off. I didn't want any of those things, but my sister was loving it. And the problem is this, right? In the kingdom of God, we don't have the room to be emotional about how I feel about things. When God starts to speak about things that would make us uncomfortable, we have a response where I put my personality and preference to the side and respond to him at his word. And I want to speak to you tonight about what does it look like to have an uncomfortable church, to lead uncomfortably, to take people to places where even you might not by your personality want to go, but God says, I need you to go. We see a story in Matthew chapter 25. I'm going to read from the message tonight. When I read this story in the message, it just blew my mind. This, this something grabbed out of me because I'm like, I'm not a risk taker. God, to start a church with 20 people was like so far from my comfort zone. So far from my risk profile. I'm like, okay, I've got to work this out. I don't have a building. I don't have any money. I don't have any people. I used to have staff at least to work with. I mean, what are we going to do here? I don't understand what to do. And then God just said, if you just listen to me, step by step, I'm going to show you how to build a church that I want people at. Matthew chapter 25 says this in the message. 
I encourage you to write this down. Christians go to heaven who write things down. It's also like a man going off. I hope we've got Christians here tonight. I know we've got pastors, but I hope we have Christians. It's like a man going off on an extended trip. You know, you've heard this story, but just get this from the message. He called his servants together and delegated responsibilities. To one, he gave $5,000. To another, 2000 To a third one, 1000 depending on their abilities. And then he left right off. The first servant went to work and doubled his master's investment. Pretty impressive. The second did the same, but the man with the single thousand dug a hole and carefully buried his master's money. After a long absence, the master of those three servants came back and he settled with them. To the one he gave five thousand, he showed him. Uh, the one he gave, sorry, the one given five thousand showed him how he had doubled the investment. His master commended him, said, "Good work. You did a job well. For now on, be my partner." And the servant with two thousand showed he also had doubled his master's investment, and his master commended him, "Good work, you did your job well. From now on, be my partner." And the servant given one thousand said, "Master, I know you have high standards, and hate careless ways, and that you demand the best and make no allowances for error. And I was afraid that I might disappoint you, so I found a good hiding place and I secured your money. Here it is, safe and sound." Down to the last. Now, I think a lot of you here would say that that's pretty reasonable, to be honest. Like, I mean, didn't lose the money. And then this next response smashed my heart. And the master was furious. Sorry? What? All I did was just secure the money. And the master was furious. That is a terrible way to live. It's criminal to live cautiously like that. If you knew I was after the best, then why did you do less than the least? The least you could have done was at least invest that sum of money with bankers, where at least I would have gotten a little interest. You can take that thousand and give it to the one who risked the most and get rid of this, play it safe, I won't go out on a limb, throw him out into the utter darkness. Jesus, that's pretty rough. Sorry? Throw him out into utter darkness. He was just... Throw him out into utter darkness. Father, I pray tonight as this word is unfolding in people's hearts, I pray that I would speak not my own words, Father, but your words. I ask for your Holy Spirit right now to flood this room and address and have our hearts' attention tonight. Let it bypass our mind and hit us in our spirit. Because when we partner with heaven, Father, things start to happen. When we start to take risks, that you have ordained and spoken, Father. We partner in that process, God. Unprecedented things take place. Crazy miracles start to happen. Lives start to be radically changed. And God, I pray tonight that, Lord, anyone that's feeling comfortable tonight would feel uncomfortable the time I finish, Father. Because we don't want a response where the master was furious. We want one that says, well done, good and faithful servant. Amen. Anyone here ever been on a cruise before? Anyone here want to go on a cruise? Isn't it cool there's been this renaissance of late that it's not just a thing for people that are in their 70s and that want to you know, retire. It's actually for families. And, and this at the end of last year, my wife and I and our kids, we for the first time went on a cruise. Uh, the problem was that my wife gets sick going around roundabout and sitting in a bathtub. So it, it really challenged me in the process of, is this going to work? Because once you're out on the boat, you're out in the boat. Ten days of, you know, you can't just pull the car over. You're stuffed. And so 
we've been processing this, but she's like, no, I want to do it, I want to do it. So we got, you know, those wristbands, look, I was pregnant, and then we put the tablets on, and we did everything we could to mitigate any potential risk of feeling sick. And we got down there, and we, we stepped on board this cruise ship, the Carnival Legend, it was called, we were off to the South Pacific. And I, I don't know, for those of you who've never been on a cruise ship before, you probably would also feel the same way. You just don't know what you are stepping onto. For those who have been on a cruise ship, once you've done it once, you kind of get your head around this world that is very foreign and not normal compared to the, the mainland. When you get on a boat, it's like you have just walked onto, you don't know what it is. Is it a casino that's floating? Is it a buffet that's going to put lots of weight on you? Is it a place where people get aggressive around the buffet line? Is it a place that you think, how is it possible a two and a half thousand seat auditorium is on this boat right now? How, what is this place? And you walk on board and you think to yourself, I have no idea what I'm supposed to be able to get this pass. And I walked onto this boat and I'm like, is there any instructions as to where I go? What do I do? Can I just go and eat pizza right now? Can I, what, what is this thing? Oh, what, what do I do? Can I just go and watch a show? Is there a comedy show on? There's other people walking on board and they're like, you know, got different color badges because they've been on the boat so many times or different, you know, they're using that, that particular cruise company. And, and I can't help but side note, just park that for a second, that a lot of people walk in the church like that, that they walk into your church and it's not a cruise ship, but for them, it may as well be because they don't have a clue about what's happening in your church. They have walked in with an expectation that there was a man down the front with a big grey beard waving smoke. Now, that could be true in your church because you've got a smoke machine and an old pastor, but their expectation is that that's what they're thinking, right? And yet, simple things like, here's the, the kids' area, because we walked in the boat, I didn't know where I took my kids to the kids' club because that was very important to us. I didn't know where that was. Hey, over here's the cafe if you want to have a coffee. And by the way, you're here. We'd love to give it to you as a gift. Oh, I didn't know that. Thank you. I'm about to walk into an environment that I'm expecting. Oh, it's dark. I didn't, wasn't quite prepared. So, so people walk into our churches and we've become so used to like these people on the cruise ship that have done lots of cruises. So it's just a cruise. They call themselves cruisers. I didn't know there was a word until I got into the boat. They're cruisers. Just like people in your church, you know, they're churchgoers or they're, you know, you, you know, whatever you want to call them, that's what they are in your church. And the problem is this, that you and I facilitate cultural experiences that may be uh, against the mission of what you're trying to achieve. The captain of the boat is probably very excited that I've put my money down to come and be a part of this cruise ship. But just like you leading a church, you want to do something, that you want to grow your church, I guarantee you that's a heart desire of yours. But is the culture allowing for people to walk in and experience it to its fullness? I park that thought and I'll come back to our message because it's an important question to ask. But in this particular experience on this cruise ship, I, I didn't really go with a whole lot of expectation. That I just hope my wife doesn't get sick. Like every half an hour, you feeling right? Yeah, I'm feeling good. Okay, good. We can enjoy this holiday. And, and eventually, I kind of got away from the fact she might be sick because she was fine. And we started thinking about, okay, we're off to some islands. And so on this particular cruise, we went over to the South Pacific and we stopped at a bunch of islands. The first day we went to uh, uh, Isle of Pines, a beautiful little place in New Caledonia. The second morning we wake up and the captain of the ship makes a devastating announcement for my wife because she kind of planned the whole thing. I didn't really have much. I was quite busy getting the church ready for me to go on holidays. We actually had six weeks off without my phone on for six weeks. And it's a miracle. For me, it's a miracle. And it made me realize that I don't need to be there to run it. It's even better. So, um, so the announcement comes over. He's an Italian cruise ship uh, captain. He says, I won't do the accent. There could be some Italians here. I could do it on the Gold Coast. Good morning. <laughs> I hope you slept well. No, no. And 
He says, I've got some bad news for you. He says, uh, we're supposed to go to, I can't remember what the island's called now. It's just left my mind. It's a good place in Fiji somewhere. Mystery, I thank you very much. God bless you. That's an extra room in heaven for you right there. Mystery Island. It's the one that we were told. Everyone was like, you need to go to Mystery Island. It's amazing. It's a place that Ellen's got her hopes up. And he says, we cannot go there. We, we, cannot, we can't even change our itinerary. We can't go there today or any time because the, the currents and the, the winds aren't right. And she's like, swear. No, she wasn't swear, but she was like, she was not happy. And I've learned in life that often when things change all of a sudden, there's usually a reason that God wants to get my attention. I've just something I've watched and learned. I'm expecting this is going to happen. But something changes. I'm like, I go, what's, what is it in this that I need to learn today? I said, I reckon we're going to have a good day today. Just calm down. Let's stop swearing. We're going to just have a good day. And, you know, she's, still, she's hopefully going to get saved in the next few years. I'm believing for her salvation. And I, we head off to this island for the day called Lifu. It's a little island called Lifu in the South Pacific. It's part of the New Caledonian Islands. I, I don't know much. I've never heard of Lifu before this cruise ship. Maybe you, Ben and Chris, you might know of this place. Uh, just in case you don't know about it, Lifu is a place that's got 10,000 people and some French whalers discovered it. Obviously, it had um, indigenous people living there. And in 1843, some whalers discovered this place and it became a French colony 10 years later when the French colonized. So they speak French there. It's kind of a little bit confusing when you're in the South Pacific and they're speaking French and... Yeah, selling you croissants it's very confusing the whole but it's there okay. and so I'm like okay we're in Lufi and we get to Lufi and we go over there and, and um, uh, on this particular trip I'm with again my sister and her husband uh, this happens to be 10 years between holidays together but it's very tied together tonight. And, and her husband uh, Pete says to me why don't we go and let's, let's just save our kids the stress of trying to find a place to spend the day why don't we go on an adventure and see what we can find so that we can take our kids there and we can we can do that and so when we were heading over on the boat, we looked up in the corner of the island and there was actually like this little church in the far corner of the island. So why don't we go start up there and then look down the island and see what we can see. And so we, we climb up the mountain and there is this church that is a fully operational Catholic church on the top of this hill. Kind of an odd place for a church. And we look down and we can see a whole bunch of stuff. There's a snorkeling bay and so we walk back down and we're heading back towards the other end of the island. There's a uh, this is uh, this is just a normal path, a little road, people walking past. And then a lot of the tourists on the boat start walking past and say, whatever you do, up ahead there's an underground cave that's not on any of the brochures. Go there, it's amazing. And so we're like, okay, that's it. So we're going to grab our kids and we say, let's go do that. We had to pay $5 entry into a God-made thing. It's ridiculous. But anyway, so the person stands at the front of the path and you can't get in without paying. And so we go to this underwater cave that's 25 meters underground pitch black and they have LED lights in there and then you dive off into this crystal clear water. You all want to go on a cruise right now. You know, it's, just a, it's amazing, right? So it's this deep, cold water and our kids are having a great day. We get out of this particular cave, water place, and we get out and then we didn't even notice on the way in, but there's this big church at the entranceway. And on the side of this church, it says, this church was built by French missionaries in 18... 18- 73. A fully operational church. We had walked in there. It was quite a, probably the size of this. It was quite a decent size building. It was like a Spanish looking building. It was an amazing tourist icon too. And I kept walking and as I was walking down this path, I felt God interrupt my day. And God just dropped this thought in my head. He said this. What would it have looked like 
150 years ago for someone to come here. Just break this down for a second. 150 years ago, someone in France got on a boat, left their family, had no way of communicating to their family, their loved ones. There was no Skype. There was no even pigeon that was going to help on this expedition. It was a nine-month journey from Paris to this little island called Leafy that most of us had never heard of. At the time, there was no more than 400 people living on that island. Yet something happened in the hearts of two missionaries. And history tells us there was a Catholic missionary and a Presbyterian or Protestant missionary that both got on the same boat on the same day and headed to the other side of the planet with a desire to share the life-changing message of Jesus to 400 people that they did not even know if they would kill them when they arrived, could not speak their, their language as they would have been migrating to the French language, on the hope that possibly they could change one person's life that they'd never even met before. They had no evidence other than probably the French whalers sharing their stories of this island. There was no Skype. Could you imagine the conversation with their wives? Hey, uh, hey dear, I'm just going to uh, go for two years and you're not going to be able to talk to me and you're going to have to fend for yourself but I'm going to go to the other side of the planet because there's people there. I don't know their names. I don't even know what they look like but they need to know about Jesus. The crazy thing is that those two churches that were established in 1873 to this day are fully operational. And if you look it up on Wikipedia, because the only thing you find about Leafy, it says this, it is a distinctive, sorry, a distinctive Christian nation. Because 150 years ago, a Catholic missionary with no Skype and a Protestant missionary with no Skype went to the other side of the planet and said, we are going to reach lost people. What is it about the spirit that those two men carried that said, this matters to God, so we're going to do something? I don't think, even if I said to my wife, I'm going to Melbourne for one night and you can't contact me and you can't Skype me when the kids go to bed tonight, I don't even know if that would have gone well. Let alone two years, three years, four years, four, I don't know how long. Good chance you won't even come back. What was in the spirit of these men that said this matters, that that little island with 400 people is going to be saved? Think about that for a second. And then I felt God speak to me in that island. He said, Joel, what are you doing with what I've given you? We've got resources. You've got resources. Incredible technology. Communication. A message. we had that same kind of this spirit and determination what could happen what could happen in your community you don't need to go to Lifu to do that you don't need to go to some crazy part of the Middle East your community needs you with that kind of spirit saying, I want to make an environment that anyone can encounter Jesus. That I won't settle for the culture that says this is what it looks like to be a comfortable Christian, but I will carry a spirit that says we will want to reach lost people. We want people to walk in the doors and know that there's a place that they can belong. That we at all costs are going to take risks in order for the master to say, thank you, be my partner. I've found this and I can't share all my stories tonight. Maybe if you can keep up to date on Facebook, there's some crazy stuff going on at the scenes at the moment that if it comes up, when it comes off, the miracle of heaven will blow everyone away. 
But when you start taking risks for the kingdom of God at all costs, crazy things start happening. Unprecedented miracles start happening. Things you never thought possible start happening. What does it have a lot to do with what you've been given? In this story, we see people entrusted with a message and an instruction, but two responses. The instruction was simple. He said, take this and do something with it. Multiply it. The two responses were clear. One said, yeah, I'm going to take a risk and I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to multiply it. And on the other hand, the person with 1,000 or one talent says, I'm going to be captain conservative and hold it in. I think for far too long in the church, not your church, but the church, there has been this concept that has been so damaging that at face value it doesn't look damaging, but it actually is. And this is as simple as, as it is. We see this word faithful. We see the word described good and faithful. And I think we've brought in for way too long that faithful means Oh, God bless that lady that comes to church and sits there every Sunday. She's faithful. She comes on time every week. Oh, thank you for that business guy in our church. He gives each week. He's faithful. And we start almost parading and getting excited about what faithful looks like. But that is not the biblical definition of faithful. See, the definition of faithful is this. The biblical definition is this. Whatever you have been given that you would bring increase to. That is faithfulness. In other words, let's say that you're about to go on a holiday and you've got a connect group with five people in it. And someone says, would you take care of this connect group? Would you be faithful with this connect group? And I'm going to be back at the end of this term and I want you to let me know how things go. And so they go away and they come back. You know what? Faithfulness looks like eight people being in that connect group. Not five people because we say, oh, well done, that there's no one left. No, no, faithfulness is whatever God has put in my hands, I will bring increase to. So let me ask you that question tonight, pastor, leader, those resources, that technology, that communication, the things that God's given to you, what are you doing to be faithful? What are you doing to say, I will bring increase to whatever is in my hands? So those of you here, maybe you're a worship pastor, a young adults pastor, a youth pastor, a kids pastor. What is in your hand right now that you say, I will bring increase. It's possible. That there is two descriptions in this story. One that says good and faithful and the other is wicked and lazy. I want to put this to you tonight that it's possible that there are people in your church that are good and wicked. Because see, good speaks of my heart motive. Wicked speaks of my heart motive. And lazy and faithful speak of what my hands do. And it's possible that in your church, there are Christians that are good and lazy. In other words, I've got a good motive, but I'm not really doing anything about that. And there are people in your city and community who are wicked and faithful. They've got the wrong motives because they haven't been connected yet to the right motive. But I'll tell you what, anything that's in their hands, they're good at. They know how to grow their business. They know how to be great parents. They know how to turn up at the school and be a great example. 
And what would happen in your community if you said, I'm going to shift our church from being good and lazy to good and faithful. And I want to shift my community and my city from being wicked and faithful to good and faithful. What happens when those two things happen? Transformation starts happening. I'm just going to fast forward a little bit. I had some stuff to share tonight, but... I want to value your time tonight. Write these two questions down. What does it look like in 2017 for you to take a God risk? Not because it's your personality type, not because you're risk averse or risk, you love it, but for you, at God's word, what does it look like to take a risk? For you, senior pastor, for your church to take a risk. For you, youth pastor, to do something you've never done before. What's God saying to you tonight? What has God already dropped into you? As I've been preaching, the Holy Spirit started giving you ideas and thoughts. Because that's what He does. When you start to explore the nature of God who was a risk taker, what does it look like? I've learned that risk always starts with the leader. A better future in a household starts with the husband leading out of being uncomfortable. Church pastor, you want an uncomfortable environment? Get uncomfortable. Do things you've never done before. Start, start reaching people you've never reached before. Start talking to people again in shopping centers about Jesus and remind yourself how uncomfortable it feels. Get a mystery shopper in your church to tell you just how comfortable your church has got and how much it doesn't make sense to them. There's no signage. There's no one telling where to go. There's no one greeting them. And we just get used to the environment. And God's saying, would you just be faithful with what I've given you? Bring increase. Look around you. Create an environment and a culture where people can see, I can belong. Like these two missionaries. They had something in their spirit. They go to the other side of the world to let them know about Jesus. And yet sometimes we won't even go to our neighbor's house and invite them to our Easter service. I want to finish with this story. And I'd love to pray for some people tonight. God thinks differently to what you think, Lord. Some of you here have said to God, we'll never own a building. Maybe some of you here have said, I'll never own my own house. Some of you here tonight have said, oh, it's possible we're landlocked. We could never build something. We want to build a Christian school, can't do it. That was something you could do 50 years ago, but no longer. I don't know what words you've spoken out loud, what, what things you put out into the atmosphere. But a few years ago, there was an American golfer, professional golfer. And he was contacted by the prince of Saudi Arabia and said, would you come to Saudi Arabia to Riyadh to the capital and spend a few days with me working on my swing? Just, just come and teach me, you know, what I could be putting better, can be swinging better. So the professional golfer thought, wow, what an opportunity to spend some time with royalty. So he flew over to America, to Riyadh and he spent those three days and he was, he was faithful. He helped him with his swing and he started putting better, chipping better. And this particular royal prince said, man, I'm so thankful that you've just helped me save so much time and effort in getting better. Is there anything that I can give you to say thank you? Just for you, that you'd be willing to come and do that for me. And in his head, the professional golfer thought, you know what, there's a brand new club that's just come out. New driver, I wouldn't mind that particular that club. I, I'm thinking, 
I might just throw it out there. He's obviously a prince, so he might be able to get me one. So he says to him, I would, I would really love a new club, a new golf club. I'd really, I like that. So he's thinking, maybe he'll get me a putter, maybe he'll get me a, a driver. And he gets back on the private plane that the prince has supplied for him, heads back to America and kind of doesn't hear anything. He thinks it's kind of odd and sort of it leaves his mind. Four months later, he's at home and he gets a knock on the door and somebody turns up with certified mail and says, I've got a letter for you. It's a letter from the prince of Saudi Arabia. So he gets this letter and he thinks, oh, that's odd. I mean, I haven't heard from a few months. So I thought, I'm waiting for my golf club to arrive. I don't know where it is. And so he opens up this letter and the prince says, dear, the professional golfer's name, look, I'm really sorry that it's taken this long, but I've been, been searching for the right club for you. But please find and close the deeds to your very own 18-hole golf course, golf club. Thank you so much once again for your time. And gave him a brand new 18-hole golf course with a clubhouse because he did not think like a golfer did. He thought like a king thought. He wasn't in a world where small things existed. He only had unlimited supply and didn't even enter his thought pattern. Some of you have been marginalizing what God can do. Some of you have been saying to God that this is not possible, but you forget that He is a king that thinks like a king and has king's provisions. Some of you have been believing for buildings, but saying, oh, it will never happen. I'm trying to work out the top 10 givers in my church and there's no way. God's sitting there going, I don't think that way. I am the king of kings with unlimited resources and looking for people who will take risks. I'm looking for people who will be faithful with what I've given you so that I can say that person there is worthy of the one talent going to you. Are you hearing this tonight? We are living in unprecedented days right now where churches are seeing crazy miracles take place. It does not start with people that just sit back and think, oh, that'd be nice. It starts with pastors on their knees before God saying, God, I will get uncomfortable. I will take what you've given me and I will be a good steward and make sure I bring increase into my youth ministry, into my young adults ministry, into the creative team, into that community. Are you going to clap or not clap? I don't know. Come on, we're pastors here. Who is partnering with what God's doing? Who is partnering with the mission? Like those two missionaries that said, I will go to the other side of the planet and I will reach lost people because when you partner with God in what God builds, you watch what He will do in your church, in your family, in your life. The last four years of our church is nothing more than me reading that story to you and believing it's possible. When last year we baptized 102 people in one day, But we had to hire grandstands in to cater for the amount of visitors in the car park as we had multiple baptism tanks happening. And I sat back and was like, what is going on here? And I felt God said, she's taking risks. What risks are you taking? Have we got comfortable? What is in your hands right now? Stand to your feet tonight. Trust you enjoyed this week's message. For any more information about Activate Church, check out our website www.activatechurch.com or download our app online and have a great week.